Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. And I'm one of your hosts, Corwin Hiller. And uh, we are here today uh, talking about the uh, 2001, I moved away from the date, yes, uh, animated film Spirited Away in the 2017 picture, The Shave of Water. Uh, Corwin, do you have any preference as to where you'd want to start? Uh, Let's start with the weird one. Which one, buddy? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's a psychedelic duo we picked here. Uh, want to start Spirited Away? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, alright, so, Spirited Away. It was written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. Um, one of, one of the, the great all-timers in terms of, um, animated motion pictures, and specifically anime. Uh, this film stars Davy Chase for the English version, Suzanne Plachette for the English version, and Miyu Irino. Um, not specified as whether or not that's the um, English version or not. So, whatever. Oh, well. uh, this film had an estimated budget of 19 million dolores and has a cumulative worldwide gross of $355 million. So that's a rather good. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when they're good, they're good, man. The tagline of this film is called The Tunnel Led Chihiro to a Mysterious Town. Which is less a tagline and more so a partial description of the events of this film. But could be worse. Bad description of barely touch on anything. God. Uh, yeah, this Ugh. is this film won a single Oscar on the back of a single nomination, so it swept the categories it was nominated for, and that's best animated feature film for Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, this movie is about a family's move to the suburbs. Uh, a sullen 10 year old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, and where humans are changed into beasts. Corwin. Heller, this was your movie. Why don't you go ahead and get us started? Um, now that Josh has developed a stutter, um, I'll get us started. Uh, I honestly didn't even know what to expect when I first picked this. Um, I know who Miyazaki is. I know who Studio Ghibli is. Like I'm um, a fan of some of their work that I've seen, and I've just never really given this uh, a full watch or even a, a partial watch. I, I just never really got around to it, even though everything I've heard about, you know, the studio and Miyazaki is spirited away is just on a whole nother plane of existence and just head and shoulders above anything else. Um, so I wanted to give it uh, its due diligence. And my goodness, um, I, I, am left relatively speechless um one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen one of the strangest things i've ever seen um i am ashamed to say i don't understand most of it after watching it for you know the first time watching it through and just kind of really trying to piece together what happened i know the story i know the plot line i know all the points um but boy that does not leave me very confident in explaining it to you um, if you asked 
So oh, I hey. feel like I could answer a multiple choice test and do re- very well. Uh, if you ask me to go open ended or essay, uh, I think I would suffer. Oh, well, that's something we can get into in a bit. Uh, yeah, this is uh, this don't is make me take a test. No, uh, well, depends on what you define test as, but we'll see. <laughs> a grilling? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, I distinctly remember the first time I watched this movie because I was proud. It was like a year or two after it came out because I remember we had the DVD of it. We had rented it. We had rented it from OG Netflix when they mailed that shit to your house. Um, so whenever that was a thing. Actually, Corwin, when do you think that was a thing? Uh, man, uh, mailing DVDs to our house. Like, when did that stop being a thing or when did it start being a thing? When did it start? 2000. Five. So Netflix was founded in '97. Uh, yeah. When did the DVD get released? When did the DVD start being a thing? Yeah, like when did that reach commercial release? '97. Okay, so '97 is the answer all around. <laughs> yeah. Um. Apparently they. You started streaming in 2007, which sounds about right, because we still had Netflix when that happened, my family. But it doesn't matter. Uh, I, so I remember distinctly watching this movie because I really didn't want to watch it, and my sister really did. And I pouted the whole way through the movie, trying my best to hate it, because my sister wanted to watch it, and I didn't. Which um, sister? Sam. Makes sense. She yeah, was uh, probably like... Zero. <laughs> yeah, she was born in 02. So she, if she was born, she was just joining the family. Um, but I I like had to admit, like while I was watching it, that it was a really, really good movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. And I will never forget how much I tried to hate this movie the first time I watched it because I was mad and like, I don't know, uh, 10, <laughs> but uh, had to succumb to the fact that it was very fucking good and it's great it's a great movie i've seen mm-hmm. this movie several times since uh, i was super happy when you picked it it is a movie that i think is very easy to enjoy as a child which is one of the um things that makes studio ghibli movies so good is that you can watch them at a young like it doesn't take any depth of understanding to uh enjoy the really nice scenery that is being presented to you. The, uh, the, the well fleshed out characters, like all that type of shit. Um, relatable problems in a lot of senses, uh, wacky adventures in the other part. And then for the adult viewing audience, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot to be read into for you. It's not, it, it's a lot like it. We, you know, Corwin and I compared it the other day. I forget who we're talking to Ethan um, to, mm-hmm. Uh, Pixar and it's a lot like Pixar in that you know Pixar leaves a lot out there for the adults to interpret and it's not like it's um, when you go back and you watch a kid's show that has a lot of like dirty jokes in it that you missed because it's not that it's a lot more existential or uh, internal in terms of how you function as a person that you're not going to digest that while you're nine watching it but if you have to watch a movie like um, the one with the feelings, I forget. Um, what's that one? Inside Out. 
and to watch Inside Out, obviously, as a kid, you're going to understand it's about feelings. You might not be able to internalize all of what the movie's trying to lay out to you. But if you're watching it as an adult, like you've experienced a lot of phases of these relate of these uh, emotions and you can kind of compartmentalize and, and figure them out a little bit uh, more readily. And so there's more on the table for you to enjoy. And that really is this movie very much so. I mean, mm-hmm. Spirit of the Way, even if you don't get everything it's going for which i don't think we as non-japanese people could do because it is clear that this film has a lot of concepts revolving around japanese tradition japanese sentimentality around superstition and spiritual meaning as well as some there's some Western comparisons I think that can be made in there, mm-hmm. but you know, the, uh, this film very much so leaves no doubts that it is representing a lot of other things going on through metaphor. Uh, and man, is that is such an easy way to keep me coming back. I mm-hmm. love me a good fucking metaphor, man. And there's so many different approaches that you could take with this, whether it's, you know, uh, consumerism, whether it is that spirituality tradition, um, you have environmental, you know, shit going on in all of these films. There's so many different ways that you can view this. And if you are a child, if you're a grown adult, you know, young teen, any essential demographic, you have something you can approach this with and can have a different focus every time you watch it um and that's really fucking cool um it's just there's endless layers to this it seems like not endless maybe a a finite number because it is still a film but you know what i mean i do i do so i guess let's see how to tackle it uh so the 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 basic overview of the plot uh, maybe we can take it piece by piece. Maybe that'd be the easiest way to do it. Uh, Jihiro is moving. Her family is moving to somewhere else. Doesn't matter where. Um, and they make a wrong turn and end up in what the father of the group thinks is a abandoned um, amusement park. And they explore, find food. The parents hunker down, start eating. Jahira gets lost. Nightfall comes around. The parents get turned into pigs by the food and Jahiro runs away scared. So the pig thing, what do you got? Uh, as like what it means? I guess so. Yeah. Um, I feel like it would have a lot to do with um, more Japanese tradition, more consumerism, more gluttony, um, I feel like this, there's so many different ways you can approach even just this one. Um, but uh, I liked it. I didn't really understand the full weight of it and the full, you know, overarching what the fuck is going on. Because it definitely is the first time you really just hit that level of, boy, we're going for a ride here and let's just try and hold on and see what happens. Um because none of this stuff is really ever explained in the moment. It's just kind of, hey, Mostly we're going to... it doesn't get explained back, Phil. Well, you kind of piece it together. There's no, like, direct exposition explaining, 
this is why they turned into pigs just that if you eat the food you turn into pigs that's just kind of what happens for some reason um but yeah 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 i i i think there's there's a lot of different ways to go with it we don't have to do this for like the whole film um because there's a lot but like i i many things yeah there's, there's too much for us to do it with but um that's one of the, like the the central it's 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 the guiding a plot you know there's a there's many subplots to this film throughout the um journey that Jihiro has to make but like that's the 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 big overarching plot point is my parents are pigs they became pigs i have to make them not be pigs anymore i need them to not be pigs um and i think an easy first reading of it is they ate food that they weren't necessarily supposed to eat and we associate eating food in an excess or when it's not ours and we eat it anyway with some level of disregard as piggish. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would also wonder if there's an element of trespassing involved in that as well, because there's a clear, there's a clear division that this movie makes in my mind between like a uh, modern day Japan and a traditional old school Japan as represented by all these spirits and whatnots, right? I think a reading for that is very much so like here is um, something of a traditional Japan presented mm. in the form of traditional Japan- Japanese fairy tales and they're them like coming to life in a way sure and i would think that when the parents of jihiro you know go into the marketplace and eat the food not only is it you know like piggish like it's not theirs and they're eating it anyway but it's also not necessarily appreciating the traditions like like, yeah like the history and those before you and some of the, yeah, the, like you said, the tradition of that place specifically for this movie, um, mm-hmm. but also more generally like Japan as a whole, I would wonder, I would, I would wonder if there was some element of that in there. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, it's a double entendre, if you will. There's like um, six or seven entendres. <laughs> that's just Miyazaki man that's just what makes these movies so timeless is you can watch them six times and still either find new things or learn to further appreciate the things that are there because they are always so fitting you know they are unfortunately timeless but timeless nonetheless yeah well I mean yeah that's what makes him him um one of the other big characters in this that has his whole its all whole journey is a uh, no face. What do you think of no face? Oh man. Um, you want to just like talk about no face and see if I can piece this shit together. Cause he's basically what a spirit with hear me out. No face 
who is so desperate for like companionship and something in that regard that he's willing to buy that friendship through yeah through gold through not you know going into a rage state and chomping the head off you know everyone around him um i'm just gonna let you take over you do you um it's it's an interesting it's where the movie really uh i remember scared the shit out of me when i was a kid um because no face when he goes all full-on evil is uh super scary when you're like nine um yeah yeah i mean still (laughs) honestly like his rampage throughout the bathhouse is still quite horrifying um and it he occupies a very interesting space within the here is the spirit world and here is the non-spirit world of this movie because he's no one knows who he is whereas a lot of the like figures around the bathhouse are recognizable like it's the radish spirit it's the river god and it's like Mm -hmm. who the fuck's this shit but he's around there um and can seemingly and can also interact with Chihiro when she's underneath the the spell of they can't fucking see as long as you don't breathe over the bridge thing right mm-hmm. and you know all of a lot of these spirits that you see are representative of something I'm assuming that the radish spirit is there to represent fucking radishes um, the way that the river spirits represent radishes I, whatever floats his boat, man. <laughs> he is radish shaped. That would seem to track. Um, I, I would imagine that no face is some 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 specific aspect of humanity because, like, what you said at the top of how this film is very anti-consumerism shows up very much so in no face, and I think no face is supposed to be. And again, I don't really know if there's a word or a phrase or a term that best fits what I'm going to try to describe, but I think it's this concept that man, generally speaking, not like literally just men, all genders, uh, man was not meant to go about life in such a conglomerate corporate way and that having success and the sycophants that follow can be damaging to you and those around you because it's not fulfilling your any actual need of yours mm-hmm. because no face can literally generate gold from within and people flock to him for that reason but that doesn't fulfill his need of wanting to be needed and to be happy serving and i think i'm sure this also ties back again into some Japanese concept or traditional belief because um, it would seem to make sense. Like, I, I I get what that is representative of, even though it's a little bit tricky, I think, to describe. Do you, do you get what I'm getting at? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's something that you can identify if not necessarily label. Right. Because um, he only gets sad when he's not, when, when Jihiro tells him, that she like doesn't want the gold or like, I don't need these extra tokens or like whatever, Mm -hmm. which she does very politely. Um, 
but she's being honest and you know i don't need the gold whatever um and then the constant feeding and you know there's all that type of shit and there's definitely something you know ingrained in this kind of east asian culture not this east whatever you know what i meant um about you know putting your guest first putting others first you know sacrificing for yourself for others sacrificing yourself per se for others um and while you know politeness and manners and respect respecting of elders respecting of you know those in essentially a higher caste than you is rich in tradition and definitely has its benefits uh it's not the way you should really you know structure your life around um it's not the thing that you should really use as kind of like a driving pillar a foundational piece of how you approach life and approach uh, others um when it you know reaches this level of kind of social and societal just ingrained doctrine and i think you know so let let's let's bring that then that idea of you know the you know ingrained cultural aspects over to the idea of jihiro we can close out on her since she is our main character and we have to talk about another movie. <laughs> um, what do you think her role is here? Or what, or what, you know, what she represents in this movie? Um, I think she's very much representative of, oh, I don't want to necessarily, necessarily say like, um, innocence or just children and and being torn about how they're being raised and all these different factors you know surrounding them but i feel like there definitely is some of that involved um uh i don't know it's uh it's i fucking hate having to pin this stuff down because it's so goddamn hard mm-hmm. um but it's got to be something in that vein what do you think yeah, I, I, I again think she's probably the. She is the force of the film that is trying to connect these ideas of old Japan to modern Japan, and I think that's a big part of the growth and job and responsibility that she has, as a character and as the person doing the actions in the movie. You know, like there's the old japan idea that if you're going to stay here you have to work right mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of ideas in there about uh not being greedy taking care of the the quote-unquote lowest among us you know um taking care for those who have helped to take care of you that aren't necessarily as prevalent in some of the old Jap- Jap- japan characters in the film who have been a little bit more corrupted or a little just more disinterested in some of those characters, you know, like the people who helped Jihiro the most is the boiler man. Um, oh, the one woman whose name I can't remember. Um, uh, like Lynn? With an L. yeah, something like that. Uh, and Haku who's like high up in the ranks, but still uh, technically a slave to Obama or whatever. Uh, Ubaba. Yeah. Hitman. Um, 
And so I, I think like her journey is very much so, you know, I'm going to steep yeah. myself into the old ways of Japan and get an understanding of how this ecosystem works, these spirits and what their function is here and how, I guess, kind of the interconnected nature of it all. But I have to also, and I'm going to carry these back with me into modern day Japan as I strip off my whatever the fuck, what's that garment is called? I know it's supposed to be called and I can't think of it. Uh, and put back on, you know, like my shirt and my shorts and my sneakers and, you know, modern Japan apparel, which obviously also makes big dividing lines between, you know, what part we're in, the literal clothes, you know, like, you know, old Japan shit and new Japan shit. Um, so I, w- I would think that she's largely there and just trying to, you know, also show. Mother. Also, I think the fact that it's a girl is very a, a big part of that change as well. You know, old Japan is, I was, I would assume like a lot of other places, you know, pre uh, like every day, um, which is women weren't, expected to or allowed to do much especially much beyond like cleaning and cooking whereas Jihiro is responsible for saving her parents Mm -hmm. and really saving everybody at certain points throughout the film and so I think that there's also an element of you know gender roles in that as well it really just all comes back around to you know bridging this gap of society and, and all of this you know where there may be 15 different things that we can look at here and appreciate and just kind of dissect and approach this film with it almost always comes back tied to that yeah yeah all right man let's uh no let's wrap this one up this was your movie why don't you give me a final rating and review uh sure uh this film is absolutely bananas b-a-n-a-n-a-s um it's gorgeous in it in just every way i mean it's some of the best animation i've ever seen um and it just there's nothing i think the biggest compliment i could give it is there's nothing lazy about it it's done a hundred percent for a hundred percent of the film um and it's just you know perfect all the way through uh, I definitely would have loved a story that I could have followed a little more. Uh, I do love all of the symbolism and I feel like I just need to watch this five, six, seven, eight more times to really, you know, appreciate all those little intricacies and, and little details that you missed your first time trying to dissect it all. This movie is going to make somebody a weeb because they're going to like be like, I got to learn more about the Japanese culture and fairy tales to better understand the references and points mm-hmm. this movie's trying to make and then all of a sudden you're you're a weeb and 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 it's a, it's it's a it's weird because that doesn't happen when you're learning about uh vikings it doesn't happen when you're learning about the aztecs but if you get too into learning about old japan man all of a sudden you're you're you you got some weird hentai shit as the background on your laptop and you're speaking bad Japanese to random Asian people in America. Um, and boy, whoo boy. Um, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yes, sir. 
Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to go down that road. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, I love it a whole bunch. Actually, wait, Corn. Did I hear what stars did you give it? Uh, I didn't give it any yet, but I'll give it a four. Yeah, I'm gonna give this a four and a half. I love this movie. It's a really good movie. Everyone should watch this movie. Doesn't get old. Okay. Can Boom. Do. <laughs> Can do, buddy. All right. Well, and let's take this on over to uh, from the land of um, spirits to the land of sexy fishmen. Um, and that is 2017's The Shape of Water, uh, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. Also screenplay credit to Vanessa Taylor. Uh, this film starts Sally Hawkins, Octavia Spencer, and Michael Shannon. Um, this film had an estimated budget of $19.4 million, basically the same as uh, Spirited Away. That's interesting. And its cumulative worldwide gross was $195 million. So that is certainly a success. Made 10 times its money. Um, its tagline Oh, it's not a tagline. Uh, based on an idea by Daniel Krauss and Guillermo del Toro. Yay. Daniel Krauss doesn't even have a writing credit. <laughs> um, but he made okay. it. He made it okay. into the, uh, the tagline, and that's all that matters. I suppose. Uh, this movie won four Oscars on the back of eight, 10, 12, 13 nominations. Um, it won for Best Achievement in Directing for Guillermo del Toro, Best Motion Picture of the Year for Guillermo del Toro and J. Miles Dale, Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures, Original Score for Alexandra de Platt, uh, Best Achievement in Production Design for Paul D. Osterberry, Shane Viu, and Jeffrey A. Melvin. It was also nominated but did not win for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for Sally Hawkins, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Richard Jenkins. And Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Octavia Spencer. I was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay for Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor. Best Achievement in Cinematography for Dan Lauston. Best Achievement in Costume Design for Luis Sequiera. Best Achievement in Sound Editing for Nathan Robitaille and Nelson Ferreira. Uh, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing for Christian T. Cook, Glenn Gothier, and Brad Zern as well as Best Achievement in Film Editing for Sidney Walensky, or Volinsky. Tough to tough to tell. Uh, this was my pick, so I'll get us started. Uh, and I'm sure much to Corwin's chagrin, I love this movie. I find this to be a fascinating movie. And I love this movie. I was talking about it with my lovely girlfriend, Cal, after we watched it. Um, because it is not by any means a new story. It is a very recognizable story. It is a very easy film to kind of get where it's going, but it introduces enough ideas and it introduces enough small moments and presents all of the concepts that it's trying to convey in such an original format that I think that's all I could really ask from it. And I think I found a lot of meaning out of it being such a familiar idea for a story, kind of like a star-crossed lovers thing, um, that I have so much appreciation for what it takes to make that still feel rather fresh. Um, plus, I think they just did a great job of the acting was great in this. I thought the cinematography, the direction, the art design, all was wonderful. This was just a well-put-together film for me. Uh, 
Corbin, why don't you tell me which, how you felt about it? Uh, this was a fine movie. Um, again, like the story was nothing special. The plot points were weird at times, for sure. But again, nothing special and nothing inherently bad. There was really nothing I, I truly disliked about the movie. I think the actors all did a great job and the characters were all, you know, good characters, even if they were, by all means, very unoriginal. Um, the thing that makes me dislike this movie is the fact that this was considered the best film of 2017 over movies like Blade Runner, Dunkirk, Three Billboards, Call Me By Your Name, um, Lady Bird, and just like nine other things that were all significantly better. Um, I just, I can't get over that. I can't. Like, if there was one or two films that it was, like, really close with and it won, but I wasn't a fan, sure, you know, that's the Academy Awards, that's how it works, your guy doesn't always win, but, like, this shouldn't have been nominated and shouldn't even been, like, an honorable mention from not being nominated. Like, this this could be like the 10th or 11th best film in this year. And I think you're out of your mind. This was a, this, I, this is a very, whether you care too much for any individual part of it, you, I think you have to at least acknowledge that it, all of the, some of its parts, all those parts are pretty fucking good. This is very yeah. well acted, very well put together as a, as a construct. And I can acknowledge all of that, but I'm saying comparatively to the other films of 2017, I wouldn't put that, you know, I would put Call Me By Your Name, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Three Billboards, and Blade Runner 2049 ahead of this film. Okay. Yeah. What you want to talk about? So what do you think this movie is about? I'm curious. Um, Guillermo del Toro has a lot of weird fetishes that he doesn't really have the ability to find porn of and so when given a massive budget he thought hey i'm gonna make some porn that i can really get off to just and make it the best looking porn i could do um and then he made this all right now for real though what do you think this movie's about um i think a lot of it is you know that bridge between all right what do we need to do to further ourselves and further our understanding of the world around us is it you know best to observe and whatnot or i don't even think it dives into that that's just kind of a very surface level like we should kill it and dissect it versus we should study it and let it live but i do think it's a you know tug of war type film between oh advancing humanity versus advancing humanity by just brute forcing and pushing our way through anything in our way versus, you know, cohabiting this planet and, and understanding before we make these kind of decisions and things like that. Well, I, I don't think, think this, it's anything terribly deep. I, I, I think I can explain that why you didn't like this movie much. You totally, totally missed the fucking point. Sure. Then what is it? <laughs> it's about racism. It's about interracial relationships in the sixties. 
Yeah, okay, cool. I didn't see that whatsoever because I was watching her fuck a fish. So I was very focused on other well, things. That's the thing. The fish man is like a litmus test for whether or not you can appreciate the point the film's trying to make. Because the idea of the of the fish man test that I don't understand because you're just calling me stupid, (laughs) which is not wrong. I just don't like it being pointed out that way. So the idea here is that. uh, You know, racism prevents prevented, especially in in the 60s, when we had uh, the the love decision come down from the Supreme Court, that interrelation interracial relationships were, you know, legitimate which we all knew the whole time but you know how to get the courts involved um that racism was the main thing stopping interracial relationships from happening because there is this concept of we are inherently different and therefore there is an inferiority and a superiority in how we get to look at relationships and how we get to look at others you know there's a big concept of othering here and that's part of what the muteness of Sally Hawkins is, is that it is that tie between these two very disparate creatures, I guess, but that there still have a lot of interconnectivity. There's a lot of common ground there with how they communicate because at some level within them specifically, but more generally speaking, uh, the different, I guess, races, uh, there's not much difference. And it doesn't it shouldn't be able to prevent people from being involved however they wish to be. And the idea of if you can move past the fact it's a fish man, <laughs> you know, it's the, it, it, it's the idea that if you can look past the surface and understand the love component of it and the similarities that they're showing you so frequently you know, that it, it is that the, the fish man is capable of feeling these emotions and communicating and understanding and being a part of whatever Sally Hawkins is involved in. That if you can look past the fish man for the fish, you'll see the man. And it was the same idea that a lot of people in the 60s couldn't look past black skin to see a person. They got hung up on the black skin part of it. So am I racist or am I specious? Colorist. I don't, like, I don't even like fishing. So, you know, you got me there. I'm racist against fish. And you know, you do also, you must have appreciated the fish hook in this movie. The fish hook? Yeah. I mean, it was a fucking gross as shit, but I mean, it was pretty funny. The fish hook? Yeah. When, um, What's his fucking name? Uh, shit. Michael yeah. Stu- Stolbard, Dr. Hofstadler, uh-huh. gets shot in the mouth. Oh. And then yeah, Michael yeah, Shannon yeah, comes yeah, over yeah, to him yeah, and yeah, fish yeah. hooks him. Yeah. Okay. I thought, I again, I was so focused on the fish man. I was picturing in my head a comically large fish hook used to like drag him into the tank or something like that. Um, That'd be but pretty you know, good. Uh, I don't, I don't see race, Josh. So this movie just was nothing to me. I, I don't see, see color. You know, um, and that makes me superior to you because I don't see color. So you're a lesser person, and uh, you're incapable of experiencing the things I experienced when watching this movie. How about that? How's that for an argument? <laughs> uh, I can't argue it. Um, 
but you know the, these ideas of, of race and color also come up with you know uh, kind of the idea of Octavia Spencer's character and much the same the idea of freely loving coming up in the homosexuality of um, fucking Richard Jenkins's character you know so both of the points of this relationship between Hawkins and Mr. Fishman, um, whose actual credited character name is Amphibian Man. So I think saying Fishman is as accurate as we can care to get. Um, both those aspects of the Sally Hawkins Fishman lovin' are represented in the main two supporting characters uh, that have actual lines outside of groans. Um, in that, you know, here is this idea of love being accepted in whatever form you have it homosexuality in the sixties for Richard Jenkins and the idea of being judged and discriminated upon based on your, your race in, in differing senses, but still um, with Octavia Spencer. So. Okay. Layers, I get man. it. You're smarter than me. That's fine. It's an onion. I get it. We're all Shrek. This is fine. Just Shrek, Shrek, Shrekking it up over there. <laughs> Correct. Oh, you made me yawn. You didn't. I just needed to blame somebody else for being tired. I was going to say, this is one of the few times where I actually did not yawn before you. So mm-hmm. I will not take blame for that one. You won't take that shit? I won't. Uh, I will agree with you that this probably isn't better than I probably would have given Best Picture this year to call me by your name. Um, oh, bless you. Yeah, because, I mean, I can argue The Shape of Water over the other ones in one sense or the other, except for The Post. Fuck out of here, The Post. I forgot that movie existed. Um, but Call Me By Your Name really, really should have been Best Picture that year. But I, I can understand part of the wild originality of The Shape of Water visually, wanting to be an aspect of it. And again, I can certainly appreciate how there's all these different concepts that you wouldn't normally get in a story like this, you know, where our love wasn't meant to be kind of thing where it's a little bit more surface level and less in depth than this was. Um, But at the same time, I, I hold back a little bit on it because on the surface, it is still very much so that movie. And because of that, you do absolutely know where this movie is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the ending gets you because you, maybe you don't see the she becomes the fish man type of ending. Um, I thought then, they played that pretty pretty heavy. I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that it was like unfathomable just maybe that's the one point you didn't get sure. like enough. 20 minutes beforehand I didn't get but the main point so i can't really throw stones <laughs> he, he might not get it folks but he is self-aware <laughs> <laughs> um but otherwise i was gonna say like y- y- you know where the movie's going like 20 minutes in you know where the movie's going and so um yeah i don't really have too much else to say about it um you got anything else? Um, there's no way that door would have held that much pressure with that much water. Oh, fuck no. Um, and that really ruined the film for me. That oh. was 
that was what kind of crossed the line. What do you think of Michael Shannon in this movie? Um, boy, he is just, he wouldn't do well in any other era following this because, uh, boy, he's pretty stuck in that, uh, 1950s Americana, you know, Mad Men mold. I love him in this so much. I mean, I know, I I know it's so typecast of like, but oh my God, I, it, oh, he's so good in this. What was the last time you saw Michael Shannon in something and didn't like it? He is my favorite part of everything he's in. Everything. All right, I'm going to look through Michael Shannon's films and, and uh, characters and see if there's any that I don't like. Uh, what did you think about the, the fingers? Oh, so creepy. Super gross. Yeah, like I'm usually totally fine with gore and, and all of that stuff. And I'm not saying this kind of like crossed the line for me, but my goodness, that was foul. It was, was one really thing, it, I actually found it less offensive when he fully ripped them off and threw them in Octavia Spencer's living room. Um, I found that yeah. the lesser of two evils between when he was sitting in his car and just squeezed them and let like oh, rot was, and I had, to, I had to turn away for that. Oh my God, it was uh, so fucking gross. That was, that was really bad. Um, Obviously the symbolism with that is also re- relatively surface level. You know, here's this regeneration Um and with science doing its best, something that could have been learned from the fishman or even gotten directly from the fishman, this concept of healing, um, and that obviously Michael Shan's character does hey the exact opposite of what would have been helpful. But hey yeah, shut up. <laughs> Off to go shut fuck up. myself. Just shut up. Oh, fuck. Uh, and then actually, I guess before we wrap up, last last question. What do you think of Sally Hawkins in this? She does a lot in this movie for someone who has no non-sung lines. Um, I will say is the spoken dialogue to uh, tits on screen time is far closer to... Uh, just straight up porn than it is to you know actual uh normal film um for a main character uh but i thought she did a great job yeah i, I love she Sally did Hawkins. so much with very little yeah she she i thought she really killed this i um was super happy to see her get this project because i've been a fan of hers since she was in happy go lucky which is a really great mike lay film that everyone should check out um she got beat no. in the oscars by uh francis mcdormand for three billboards uh but that was a really stacked year for that category yeah, um but yeah she did a, it it is very tough getting all of the emotions across without leaning on dialogue um in certain circumstances and i think she did a phenomenal job um super happy to see sally hawkins just fucking crushing it so love you sally movie was written for her or part was written for her anyway, I should say. Um, yeah, and she she took some fish dick just real good. Just just took it took it on the chin. Literally. Watching her like describe with her hands where the fish dick comes from is also very fucking hilarious. <sighs> yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot to try to just put myself in that room and just pretend like i was just kind of there trying to understand that and that was that was a lot yeah yeah 
Um, all right, then. Final rating and review for this one, and then we'll uh, pick next week's movies. Sound good to uh, you? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this a four because we don't actually see the fish stick. <laughs> fish stick would have raised it to a five and a half. Um, <laughs> oh, so many dick jokes to make there, but. Yeah, she's just gonna he's just gonna fill her with a caviar. Uh <laughs> oh man. All right. Um yeah, I was not to laugh there. It was not a difficult choice. Hmm. I'm just imagining black ropes of caviar, but anyway. Uh <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, this is a really good... This is a movie I have not seen since it came out because I do think, while I do very much so enjoy this movie, it is very much so that kind of movie. I've had reason to and have since rewatched Lady Bird and Calling By Her Name, some of the movies Corwin mentioned that also came out in this year because I think that they're... Even if they might be less grand in terms of like scope of their originality because they don't come from like the world of fantasy... Um, they're in their sense, the originality of their script is more grounded in real life. And there's more things for me in a day-to-day sense to want to oh. access that. Whereas this is, it's not going to have that, even though I think the journey of this movie is certainly worthwhile and, and has a lot in there for you. It's not nearly, not nearly as accessible as movies of its kind of its contemporary are. So I'll probably, I'll probably also give this a four. I, I really do love this movie, but it, it is it is so different that it can be a little bit more challenging to access, especially because the way the fantasy interacts with the reality, unlike in, say, Pan's Labyrinth, which is another Guillermo del Toro movie that I rewatch probably once every other year, at least, or probably more than that. I probably watch it. I'm a, I'm a good, I'm good for one Pan's Labyrinth a year. I love that movie. So... Yeah, that's where I think I land. Um, I just realized while you were saying all that, that uh, Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, who played the doctor, the good doctor, um, is in both this and Call Me By Her Name. Yeah, he was the dad. Yep. Let's pull it together. I prefer the dad. The real ones will know him from a serious man. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw him. I was like, oh, man, he's going to have a bad time in this movie. I just know it. Man, that I've I have never I might have to rewatch a serious man at some point because it was so much to handle. Oof. Yeah. I watched anyway. it for the first time this year and loved it. It is one of the most aggressively Jewish movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Unbelievably so. Like there's so much to digest in there. I thought of you endlessly while watching this. I, I can't like even just like the story that um fred melamed um cy abelman tells about like finding like the hebrew letters on the guy's teeth i i think about that all the time seriously all the time hmm. i have no idea why it just I, it pops into my head all the time but anyway it's a it's a fun time uh then let's get into next week's pigs ah! um corwin what you got um all right. Uh, don't read into this question at all. But uh, which um, 
which was your favorite allied country in the Korean War? The U.S. or Korea? Korea. Okay, I'm still going with my U.S. pick because I don't care. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 2019, directed by Quentin Tarantino. All right, all right. I think I'm due for a rewatch of that. I can dig. Can you dig it? Yeah. I can dig it. Uh, Right on, right on, right on. Then I'm going to go back to movies Corwin hates even more. Uh, I'm going to go with a classic foreign film. The 400 Blows from 1959. Okay. It's a classic, classic foreign film. Um, I'd like to say you'd enjoy. I'm not sure. We'll find out. Well, I do like turtlenecks. Google's showing a lot of turtlenecks. All right. Um... Okay, once upon a time in Hollywood. I was I was about to have to ask you what movie you fucking picked moments after you said it. Um, At least wait a few days. Yeah, I'm trying to get some on my screen so I can answer. When you ask me, I can text you quicker about what the fuck they are. Um, Charles Manson is listed in the cast. That's fucking wild. Um, anyway, so that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is currently streaming on Stars, and The 400 Blows, which is currently streaming on HBO Max, uh, and that's likely it, unless Corwin, you got anything else for us? No. Yeah, fair enough. Well, then, check them out before next week's show. If you want to follow us on Twitter in the meantime, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you'd like to hit Corwin up on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. And if you'd like to follow myself on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. Um, if you'd like to send us emails, you can do so at Juicing the Big Screen at gmail.com and uh, until next Tuesday y'all have a good one bye